0: Well, thank you, young people. The Lord really used you. Thank you for coming and ministering to us today. If you have your Bible, and I hope you do, go with me to the book of 3 John. 3 John. If you don't know where that is, go to the end of your Bible and flip left a few pages and you'll be there. We're going to talk today about how to have a healthy soul. How to have a healthy soul. What comes into your mind when you think about a spiritually healthy person? Uh, We all have an idea of what a physically healthy person looks like. Maybe we think of some muscled-up guy like Arnold Schwarzenegger or some beautiful Hollywood actress. But what does spiritual health look like? Is it a monk in a monastery who spends all day fasting and praying? I don't think so. Is it a megachurch pastor who's just oozing with charisma and motivation? Not always. Is it a seminary professor who throws around $5 theological words? Now, Dr. Rasmussen is not like this, okay? You know, some seminary professors they don't just talk about God, they talk about God. And they stretch it out three or four syllables, and they just have to be closer to God than the average person, right? Well, in third John, we meet a man with a healthy soul. In fact, he was so healthy spiritually that John prayed he would be just as healthy physically as he was spiritually. Now, for some, that would be a wonderful exchange. Some of you guys would lose your pot bellies. You get your hair back. For some, it would be great to be just as healthy physically as you are spiritually. But for some, it would be troubling. Many who are strong and beautiful would wither away to almost nothing. What was it about Gaius' soul that made him a model of spiritual health? What made him a spiritual Arnold Schwarzenegger, if you will? Let's look at 3 John verse 1. The Elder and to the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. Beloved, I wish above all things that thou mayest prosper and be in health, even as thy soul prospereth. For I rejoice greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee, even as thou walked in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. Beloved... Thou doest faithfully whatsoever thou doest to the brethren and to strangers, which have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom, if thou bring forth on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well. Because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles. We therefore ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth." Now, the background of this letter is that John sent some messengers with another letter to a man by the name of Diotrephes. And Diotrephes and Gaius attended the same church. And just to say it very simply, Diotrephes was a real jerk. He wouldn't read the letter John wrote him, and he turned the messengers away. He put them out into the street, into the cold. These guys were from out of town, and they had nowhere to stay, and they didn't know what to do. So they said, let's go to Gaius' house. He's a friend of John's, and surely he'll receive us. So they knocked on Gaius' door, and he met them with a smile, and he brought them into their home. Now, when these messengers went back to John and told him everything that had happened, it would have been very natural for John to say, How is my friend Gaius doing? What can you tell me about him? And the messengers said, Well, John, physically he's not well, but spiritually he's prospering. He's walking in truth, and he's living in love. That was the testimony they brought back. Look again at verse 3. I rejoiced greatly when the brethren came and testified of the truth that is in thee. Look at verse 6. They have borne witness of thy charity or thy love before the church. And John would have said, you're absolutely right. Truth and love, that's what makes a person's soul healthy. I'm going to pray that God will heal Gaius and I'm going to send him a little letter to let him know that I'm praying for him. I think that will encourage him. Thus we have the book of 3 John. Let me ask you a personal question. Do you want a healthy, prosperous soul? You know, if there's any area of our life where it's important to be strong and healthy and prosperous, shouldn't it be our soul? You know, physical health is temporary, isn't it? Financial prosperity is temporary, but the soul is eternal. It will live forever. It will stand before God. Your spiritual health is your real health, and your soul is the real you. So if we should seek health and prosperity anywhere, we should seek it in the soul. Now, as we said last week, a healthy soul begins with our relationship with the truth. And we talked about Gaius. He knew the truth he believed the truth, he walked in the truth. Let me just remind you this morning, ignorance is not healthy. It's not healthy. But knowing the truth and believing the truth is not enough. We must walk in the truth. We must close the gap between the truth that we profess and the truth that we practice. And all of us have a gap between the beliefs we profess and the truth that we practice. None of us has fully arrived. There's a gap for all of us. You know what lives in that gap? Shame, guilt, the grieving of the Holy Spirit. That's why spiritually healthy people do everything they can to close that gap, because as John said, great joy lives in those who walk in truth. So if you want a healthy soul, it really does begin with your relationship with the truth. Know the truth, believe the truth, but put it into practice and walk in it. Well, not only was Gaius healthy because he walked in truth, but here's the point of the message today. He was healthy because he lived in love. And we learn from Gaius what real biblical love is. And I want us to think this morning about the basis of our love, about the nature of love. What is it? And then I want us to think about the effect of love. What will living in love really do for us? So let's start this morning with the basis of love. Look again at verse 1. The elder, that word means pastor, talking about John. The elder unto the well-beloved Gaius, whom I love in the truth. I love in the truth. So the basis of their love was truth. Now, these two men must have had a deep friendship. It's obvious they really loved one another. In verse 1, John says Gaius is well-beloved. Three more times he calls him beloved or loved one. It seems from verse 4 that John regarded Gaius as one of his spiritual children. Perhaps John led him to Christ. There was a deep bond of affection between these two men. The kind of bond that makes life in the family of God so rewarding. If you've been part of God's family for any time at all, you know the joy of close relationships with brothers and sisters in Christ. And very often, members of our faith family come to mean as much to us as members of our flesh and blood family. The bond between John and Gaius was close. But I want you to know it was not forged by the fact that they had uh, compatible personalities or that they had similar life experiences or they rooted for the same hometown team. According to verse 1, their bond was forged on the basis of the truth. A truth that they mutually shared, a truth they mutually believed. Remember, as we talked about last week, the truth in the context of this letter refers to the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, that truth was given such prominence in these two men's lives that it transcended every other barrier to their relationship. Gaius was a Greek name. He was most likely a Greek man. John, of course, was a Jew. So we know that there were some real ethnic and cultural barriers that would have stood in the way of their friendship and love. John, on the one hand, grew up in a strictly religious home, whereas Gaius was most likely a pagan and an idolater. But at some point in each of their lives, they had a life-changing encounter with the truth. John was delivered by the truth from his self-righteousness. Agaius was delivered by the truth from his unrighteousness. And their deliverance by the truth transcended everything else in their life. It became the most important reality of their lives, and it brought them together as brothers in Christ. The truth was given such prominence in their life that it transcended every other barrier. It transcended every other truth. Truth about their upbringing, truth about their culture, truth about their background, those things were still true. They just weren't as important as they used to be. Can I say it this way? Their love for the Father brought them together as brothers. And anywhere you travel in the world, if you're a genuine Christian and you meet someone that is also a genuine Christian, you know that instantaneous bond that happens because you have a mutual truth and a mutual love for God. So when John writes, he does not say, you are so beloved because I enjoy your personality or because we have so much in common. You are so beloved because we have both been radically changed by the truth. Now listen, that is the basis of all Christian love. And it's crucial that we love one another in this way. Remember what Jesus said, By this shall all men know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. See, truth is the basis of our love, and love is the basis of our testimony in the world. If you don't believe that's true, just look at the damage that has been done to the cause of Christ by all the scandals that seem to be in the news on a daily basis. Why is the world so scandalized when something sinful happens in the church? Well, because people who were supposed to love one another instead abused one another or stole from one another love, the very thing that is supposed to substantiate our message, has disparaged our message. So it's crucial that we return to a lifestyle of loving one another. And I want you to know, folks, there's real urgency in this. It is more important that we do this now than ever before. Of course, we're coming up on another election year. And the last election year was divisive to say the least, wasn't it? It was a mess. And people in our country were divided along racial lines and along political lines, along the lines of whether you were pro-mask or anti-mask or pro-vax or anti-vax. Sadly, that division did not stay in the world, did it? It raged within the church. It was not uncommon to see Christians eviscerating one another on social media, to see Christians who were longtime members of loving churches leave Because someone asked them to wear a mask or they did not ask them to wear a mask. Now, I'm no prophet. I'm not the son of the prophet. But mark it down, we will see another widespread effort driven by our enemy to divide the body of Christ this year, I believe it. So let us remember that we do not love one another because we always see eye to eye on secondary matters. We won't. We love one another because we're brothers and sisters in Christ. Now remember, truth is the basis of our love. And where the Bible clearly speaks, we must speak too. Of course we can't be more loving than God is. That would be impossible. Truth is the basis of our love. But we must not allow the world's barriers of culture or race or who we vote for in the primaries to tear asunder what God has joined together. We have been brought into a relationship by the truth of God. And all secondary and superficial issues must remain secondary and superficial so we can do what is primary. And what is primary, church? To love one another. That's it. So the basis of our love is truth. Well, what is the nature of love and what does it mean for us to really love one another in this way? Well, according to this letter, Gaius's love was demonstrated to his brothers through a hospitality ministry. We've heard a little bit about that. That was so neat that he brought that up. Gaius uh, often opened his home to house traveling preachers. That was a common practice in the early days of the church. Inns, motels, hotels, you could call them. They were not the safest or most reputable places to stay. They were often dens of prostitution. In many cases, they didn't want to house Christians, and Christians didn't want to stay in those inns. So when a preacher, a missionary, an evangelist would travel to another city, he would depend on the people of the church where he was ministering to open their homes to give him food and a nice place to stay. This was Gaius' ministry in his church. Verse 5 says that he did that faithfully. In other words, he did it with regularity. He did it with consistency. That was his ministry in his church, and he was faithful to do it. And according to verse 5, he did it for those preachers who were his friends, and he also did it for perfect strangers. And it takes a lot of love to open up your home to a perfect stranger. Now, when those travelers would leave Gaius' house, they would go to other churches and they would testify of his love. I tell you, that guy, Gaius, really loved us. Now, why did they say that? I don't think they said that because Gaius wrote little love notes and put them in the room. Among friends, that might be okay. That's not how I express my love to other guys. Among friends, that might be okay, but certainly not among perfect strangers. I don't think Gaius was overly sentimental in his words or deeds. He showed his love by making sacrifices to host people in his home. His love was a working love, it was a thoughtful love. It was a generous love. And road-weary preachers could find in the home of Gaius a hot meal and some encouraging conversation and a soft bed. As I thought about this, I thought about people in our church who have this same ministry. Mark and Flossie Loop, for instance, opened their home to missionaries and preachers all over the world. They have dubbed it the Loop Lodge. Many others have opened their homes in acts of hospitality. What I could not get away from as I thought about Gaius is the fact that he leveraged his resources for others. Whatever measure of prosperity God had given him, he was willing to give those resources for others. He was willing to share with those in need. And in this book, his generosity stands in contrast to the greed of the man I referenced earlier, Diotrephes. Look at verse 9, if you will. I wrote unto the church, but Diotrephes, who loveth to have the preeminence among them, receiveth us not. Wherefore, if I come, I will remember his deeds which he doeth, prating against us with malicious words, and not content therewith. Neither doth he himself receive the brethren, and forbiddeth them that would, and casteth them out of the church. There's quite a contrast between these two men, Gaius and Diotrephes. Gaius received his brothers. Diotrephes turned them away. Gaius had a reputation for generosity. Diotrephes was known for his greed. He was not content. Gaius walked in truth. Diotrephes spread lies. Gaius loved others. Diotrephes loved himself. Gaius wanted the name of Christ to be known. Diotrephes wanted his own name to be known. He loved to have the preeminence. Now, here's the point. Each of us will choose the way of Gaius or the way of Diotrephes. We will either love self, which is natural, or we will die to self so we can love others. We will steward the time and resources God has given us for the benefit of others, or we will squander those time and resources for ourselves. And I want to ask you a personal question. Which are you, Gaius or Diotrephes? Gaius is love for Christ was directed through a ministry to his brothers and sisters in Christ. And your love for Christ may not be directed through a ministry of hospitality. You may not house people for multiple days in your house. But perhaps it is directed through the ministry of the nursery. That's a great ministry, isn't it? Or the ministry of Embrace Grace. Or the ministry of the Bridge to Recovery. Or the ministry of the Bus Ministry. But however your love for Christ is directed, the point is... It must be directed. The direction of love will vary, but the nature of it will always be the same. It will be sacrificial. It will be generous. Folks, that's what biblical love really is. You know, biblical love is not a feeling. It's not an emotion. How could Gaius emotionally love perfect strangers? Of course he couldn't. Real love is a spirit of sacrifice most clearly seen at Calvary. That's what love is. Turn back a few pages, if you will, and look at 1 John chapter 3. Remember, John was the apostle of love. He had more to say about it than anybody else. And he brings home to us what real biblical love and loving others is all about. Look at 1 John 3 and verse 14. We know that we have passed from death into life because we love the brethren. He that loveth not his brother abideth in death. In other words, sacrificing to love a brother or sister in Christ is an indication that you are in the family of Christ. And if you never sacrifice for a brother or sister in Christ, you need to question whether you have truly passed from death unto life. You may not be in the family. Look at verse 15. Whosoever therefore hateth his brother is a murderer. And you know that no murderer hath eternal life abiding in him. Hereby perceive we the love of God, because he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. But whoso hath this world's good, and seeth his brother have need, and shutteth up his bowels of compassion from him, how dwelleth the love of God in him? My little children, let us not love in word, neither in tongue, but in deed and truth. Well, that really says it all, doesn't it? If the love of God is in us, it will flow through us. So the question this year is, who will you sacrifice to love? Which widow will you visit? Which lost soul will you love to Christ this year? Which missionary will you sacrifice to support? Which child will you pick up for church? Which single mother will you help on her way? Let us not love in word or in tongue, but in deed and truth. The basis of love is truth, and the nature of love is sacrifice. And if we are not sacrificing for others, we need to ask if that love lives in us. Let's talk lastly about the effect of love. When you begin to live in love and sacrifice for others, It's going to have a wonderful effect on your life. Go back to 3 John, if you will. Look at what it says in verse uh, number 6. These messengers have borne witness of thy charity before the church, whom if thou bring forth on their journey after a godly sort, thou shalt do well, because that for his name's sake they went forth, taking nothing of the Gentiles' We, therefore, ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers to the truth. Now, John does not just write this letter to Gaius to encourage him. There seems to be some question in John's mind about whether Gaius will continue in the ministry of hospitality. Notice in verse 6 he says, if thou bring these brothers forward on their journey. So apparently these men brought back uh, a report to John that said, I think Diotrephes is considering getting out of his ministry. Now, we don't know why that is, but we can certainly understand that. Anyone who's been involved in sacrificial ministry knows that the reasons for discouragement are many. Self-sacrificing love sounds awful noble when the preacher talks about it on Sunday morning. It sounds glamorous until you actually do it somebody hears a message like this and there's a lady who says, yes, I ought to take a shift in the nursery. It is the loving thing to do. But motivation begins to wane after you've changed dirty diaper 57. We don't know why Gaius was discouraged in his ministry. Perhaps some of his house guests had overstayed their welcome. A century later, the church would write a document called the didache. And among many other things, it instructed traveling preachers how long they were to stay in houses like this and how they were to behave themselves. And it's in the didache that we get that famous saying, house guests, like fish, begin to stink after three days. (laughs) We don't know the cause of Gaius' discouragement, but if you've ever been discouraged while trying to love others, you are in good company. John writes this letter because he doesn't want Gaius to quit. He gives him three reasons he ought to continue in a sacrificial ministry of love. And these are three reasons for you to continue to love others. Number one, he says, do it for the sake of the name. Do it for the sake of the name. These traveling preachers are going to lost Gentiles for one reason, for the sake of the name. And remember, the name in question here is the only name that can say. The name that is above every other name, the name of Jesus and these first century missionaries and evangelists left their homes and their jobs. They left their families in their nations so they might take that name to people who had never heard it. They did it because they loved the name of Jesus. Ladies and gentlemen, this is why we sacrifice. This is why we involve ourselves in the cause of Christ. This is why we drive, we, uh, Excuse me. why we drive used when we could drive new. This is why we show up early on Sunday to get on a bus or to come to choir practice. We make these sacrifices not first and foremost for the people. We make these sacrifices first and foremost because we love that name. And some in our generation have left family and country in a home. For the sake of that name, they have sacrificed to go. And we live here in the United States of America, and we must make some sacrifices so they can go. Don't forget why you're doing what you're doing. If you forget it, you'll grow discouraged. Discouragement is the result of focusing on the recipients of love rather than the source of love. We are to do what we do because we love the Lord in his name and we want it to be made greater in this world. He's the reason we love others. We love others because we love him. And we love him because he first loved us. When can I stop loving others? When can I get out of ministry? When can I stop sacrificing? We can stop loving others when Jesus stops loving us. And Jesus will never stop loving us. And we can never stop loving others. We can never stop sacrificing for them. Continue in the ministry of love because the people that you're ministering to are doing it for the sake of the name of Jesus and you should too. Then he says, continue in the ministry of love Because no one else will love them. He says that these men went forward for the sake of the name, taking nothing. And again, put yourself in the sandals of Gaius here. These traveling missionaries and preachers were coming through. They were taking the gospel to new territories where the name of Christ had never been named. And they made it their policy we will never take a handout from the people that we're trying to win to Christ, we will not charge a ticket to an evangelistic rally. So, John says, you need to continue helping these people, support them financially, help them on their way. Because if Christians don't support them, no one else will. You know, folks, if Christians did not love and support Christian causes, no one else in this world would do it. Can I remind you this morning, there is no cause like the cause of Christ. It's the greatest cause in all the world. Only the people of God can accomplish the cause of Christ. No one else can do it. No one else is going to do it. So I think this ought to be a guiding principle in our giving and sacrifice. There are many good causes we may support. But many of those causes are being supported by people in this world. And at the end of this day, or at the end of the day, all they're doing is making this world a better place from which to die and go to hell. We may support causes like that. But there is one cause we must support, and that is the cause of Christ. It's the greatest cause in all the world, and if we don't support it, no one else will. So do it for the sake of the name. Do it because no one else will do it. Then he says, do it to help the truth. Verse 8 is wonderful. Look there again with me, if you will. We, therefore, ought to receive such that we might be fellow helpers of the truth. Oh, that's a wonderful phrase. Now, first, I want you to circle that word ought in verse 8. We ought to receive such. There are some things we ought to do because love demands it from us. And helping those who spread the gospel through this world is something all of us ought to do. When we do what we ought, we receive the tremendous privilege of helping the truth. Now think about what John is saying. Gaius, these preachers are helping the truth by spreading it throughout the world. But you are helping the truth by serving them and making it possible for them to spread the truth through the world. Do you see that, folks? We're all on the same team. We all have a part to play as we help the truth spread through this world. Yes, I'm preaching the gospel today, and I hope I'm spreading it. I hope someone will believe the gospel today. That's why I'm doing it. This is not a one-man show by any means. There are ladies in the nursery loving babies so moms and dads can sit here and they can hear the truth. There are men in the lobbies watching the entrances and exits because they love the Lord and they love you. There are folks in the sound booth who are keeping my microphone on and folks in the live stream perch who are ensuring that the gospel goes forward to nations all over the globe. Here's the point. Every one of these acts of love, large and small, helps the truth make its way forward to the uttermost parts of the earth. All of us can do something and all of us should do something this year to help the truth that has helped us so much we've got to sacrifice for it. You know, the Lord Jesus sacrificed everything to accomplish our salvation. We must sacrifice to advance salvation. Do you believe that the truth of the gospel can save everyone? I do. I believe in a whosoever will gospel. How about you? The truth of the gospel can save everyone. But it can't save anyone unless there's someone who will help the truth get to the people who need it. In 1943, the SS Dorchester carried troops and military personnel across the Atlantic Sea. A German U-boat spotted it and shot three torpedoes. Only one hit the ship, and the ship began to sink but slowly. It gave time for the people on board to evacuate. The problem was that there weren't enough lifeboats and life vests for every person on board to be saved. There were four chaplains on the boat, and they stayed on board throughout the night to minister to those who were trying to escape. And when the critical moment came, each of those men took off their life jackets and handed it to a young sailor so he could be saved. When news of the death of the four chaplains reached home, the nation was inspired by their sacrifice. The president dubbed February 4th for Chaplain's Day. Each of these men was awarded with a posthumous medal in their honor. Ladies and gentlemen, there is no greater love than for a person to sacrifice his life for another. And I remind you this morning that that is the love our Savior has for you. On the cross of Calvary, the Son of God laid down his life for you. He died so you can live. And God loves you so much, He wants a personal relationship with you. He loves you. And if you have never responded to that love, you can today. You can repent of your sins and by faith trust Christ as Lord and Savior. And in a few moments, we're going to give you an opportunity to do just that. But let me say that there is no love in all the world like the love of God. And I pray you'll come to know it. Christian, Few of us will be asked to lay down our lives so others can be saved. But if you know anything about the love of God, you ought to be willing to do that. You ought to be willing to. And if God has not called you to lay down your life in North Africa or East Asia or someplace where it's dangerous to spread the gospel, I can promise you this. He has called you to lay down something so you can help the truth. And as we go into a new year, I want you to ask yourself, what am I really sacrificing to help the truth go forward in my generation? Well, what does it mean to be spiritually healthy? John says you have a wonderful object of that in the person of Gaius. His life was characterized by two traits. He walked in truth and he lived in love. What's the basis of our love? It's truth. Because we have been saved by the truth, we are to love others who have been saved by the truth. What's the nature of that love? Well, whatever it looks like, it always looks like sacrifice. That's what love is. And what effect will that love have on your life? It will make you a helper to the truth. So this year, let's be spiritually healthy. Let's go after a prospering soul. Let's walk in truth. Let's live in love. Let's pray. Father, thank you for showing us what a healthy soul looks like. It's not always the most public and prominent of positions. There was a layman in a church who loved people, and he opened his house to them. And you said that was the very definition of a lifestyle of love. Oh God, might you make this personal to all of us today? Press it upon our hearts. How can we sacrifice this year to help the truth and to love others to Jesus Christ? Oh, make it personal. Make it specific. Lord, if there is someone here who has never responded to your wonderful love, I pray that here in just a moment they will. With every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking but me and God, I have a couple specific questions for you today. How many of you would say, Pastor, I believe God loves me, and I believe Jesus died for me. I believe he rose again. But I'm not sure I've ever responded to that love in a personal way. You were talking about repenting of sins and placing faith in Christ. And to be honest, I can't go back to a time and place in my life where I've really done that. I'm not sure I've ever responded to the love of God. I want a relationship with God, and I know he loves me, and I want to love him. And I want to receive his love into my life today. If that's you, and you can't look back to a specific time and place where you received God's love into your life and you made it personal, I want to pray for you today. We're not going to ask you to join our church. We're not going to ask you to get baptized or give an offering today. All I want to do is pray for you. Would you care enough about your soul and where you'll spend eternity just to let me pray for you today? Say, Pastor, I am not sure. I've ever personally responded to the love of God, would you just pray for me? If that's you, would you lift your hand with mine? God bless you. I'm not sure that I've ever responded to the love of God in a personal way. I know he loves me, and I want to love him. I want a relationship with him. Pastor, would you please pray for me? Anyone else today? If you raised your hand, and only if you raised your hand, I just want you to look up at me. Just look up. Here in just a moment, we're going to have an invitation. We'll stand, heads will stay bowed, eyes will stay closed. What I want to ask you to do is to leave your seat, come to the front, and we want to take God's word, the Bible, and show you how you can know for sure your sins are forgiven, and you're on your way to heaven, and you have a personal relationship with Christ. You have my word, we love you, and we would never embarrass you. We simply want to show you from the Bible how you can be saved. Now here in just a moment, I'm going to pray for you. But the prayers of a Baptist preacher can't save you. You must personally trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. And when we begin the invitation and everyone stands, I want you to leave your place and come to the front and let someone show you from the Bible how you can do that. You may lower your head, and God bless you. How many of you Christians would say, as I listened to this message, I was encouraged about the sacrifices that I'm already making? Maybe my level of sacrifice doesn't match Gaius' level or somebody else's level, but I know this. I'm really sacrificing to love my brothers and sisters, and I'm really sacrificing to love the lost, and I've been encouraged today to continue in a ministry of sacrificial love. If that's you, would you lift your hand with mine? Say, that's the way I want to live, and this year, I'm going to keep going in it. That's a wonderful decision. You may lower your hand. How many of you would say, As I was listening to this message, the Holy Spirit convicted me. And I really can't point to many tangible sacrifices that I'm making to help the truth. This year, I want to make some of those sacrifices. I understand that's what love is. And I want to be involved in helping the truth. If that's you, would you lift your hand with mine? Oh, God bless you, many of you. and We'd like for you to come and make that decision today. And let the Lord know, this year I'm going to be involved in making sacrifices to love the lost and to love brothers and sisters in Christ. You may lower your hands. Father, I want to thank you for how you've spoken to us. I want to thank you most of all for being the ultimate model of love. Thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name we pray.